a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Hello and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. I'm really glad you're here because I've been doing a lot of thinking about herbal medication and it's been a process to get us here and to recording this interview with Anita and Melinda. Anita and Melinda are my guests on today's podcast and before I talk to you a little bit more about them and how brilliant they are, I wanted to tell you what happened in the run-up to preparing. So I asked my community of women in my Facebook group or my Instagram what they wanted to know about herbal medication. And so the questions kept flooding in. Is turmeric safe whilst on tamoxifen? Do I need to avoid grapefruit altogether? Are there any contraindications to black coash whilst on tamoxifen? What herbal supplements are considered safe or which ones do I need to avoid when I'm on letrozole? And the list of questions just kept coming in and it was all about individual herbs and contraindications, especially when we're in menopause that is onset or caused by medication after a cancer diagnosis. So on my first Zoom call in preparing for this recording, Anita and Melinda were both a bit reserved in answering those questions. And I felt, why don't they want to be really specific? How hard can it be? And what happened is it really showed me that I knew almost nothing about really what herbal medication is, how it works, how it's used, how it's prescribed, and how can we use it so it's most effective. So I myself had to go back to the drawing board and I went back to the women in my community and really asked what they knew about herbal medication. And really, it's very little apart from the individual herbs that we can pick up in our local health food store. So I'm very grateful that both Anita and Melinda have taken the time not to just educate me on how we can use herbal medication and how it can be effective, but also in educating me on what it is and how can we access it so that it can become the most successful and effective for us so that we just feel better and also to stay on long-term cancer treatment. It's one of the most effective and complementary therapies that can help us not just when we're going through active treatment, but years and years after our initial diagnosis as well. So I'm joined by Anita Ralph, who is a consultant medical herbalist, and Melinda McDougall. Both hold a Master in Science degree in herbal medication, both specialize in women's health, and both have so many more qualifications to add that I haven't even got time for, but I will put them all into the show notes. And both of them are super passionate about helping us understand how we can use herbal medication in the best way to support us. So Anita, for example, began full-time training to become a medical herbalist back in 1987. 
And then on graduating, she became a member of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists. And Melinda has turned over and researched and analyzed hundreds and hundreds of research papers on herbal medicine and menopause to really find out what works. Both of them have run really super busy clinics for a long time and have supported women after cancer for many, many years and decades. All of the links we're discussing in this podcast are in the show notes. But for now, please have an open mind. You might have questions, really burning questions yourself. I'm sure we will answer them. If not, reach out. But let us just take you on our thought process in helping you understand what herbal medication is all about. Let's welcome those two amazing women in. Welcome, Melinda. Welcome, Anita. This is an exciting episode. Thanks for having us. We're looking forward to this discussion too. Um, and I to like, be with you. Yeah, and I like the word discussion because we have had plenty of discussions in planning for this. And I've really had to get my head round how we get from A to Z, from what we think herbal medicine is to what you do in daily practice. And there is a big gap and I feel it's this information gap and I'd like to start tackling it today. Great. Let's do it. You're both wonderful, wonderful people. So thank you for bearing with me in asking all these questions beforehand. Melinda, we're going to start with you. I came to you as a patient, actually, and I want to be really transparent here that I have known you for a few years, but I came to you when I was kind of at my wit's end with my lymphedema. I've got this lymphedema, my chronically swollen left arm ever since really my breast cancer surgery and the removing of all of my lymph nodes. and. I have been getting reoccurring infections and they had to be treated with antibiotics. And I just felt I needed to support my lymphatic flow and all of myself. And I found you and that was wonderful. And so I have made the experience of being a patient with you. But can you please talk all of us through what herbal medication is, what you do in, in a day-to-day practice and, and yeah, just talk us through what you do. So, uh, you know, I I specialize in supporting women through menopause and perimenopause and women's health in general. And, you know, when someone comes to me for an initial consultation, you know, we'll spend 90 minutes together and I'll delve very deeply into everything that's going on for you, what medication you're taking, what's your diet like, what external stresses are affecting you on a daily basis. You know, it'll be really comprehensive and we'll look at all your different body systems and how they're working or not working. And then I go away and put together a treatment plan for you. And that contains, you know, lifestyle advice, dietary advice, but also I will make up a herbal medicine formulation for you. And for me personally, I like working with liquid extracts of herbal medicine. So these are tinctures and I will put together a formula for you that might contain six or seven different herbs and get you to take that twice a day. And then I'll get back together with you again after about a month and we'll review things, change your prescription and uh, adjust things accordingly and go forwards from there. So, you know, my aim is to really restore balance and to help the body heal itself using whole plant extracts. And thank you for explaining that, because in my introduction to the podcast, I was saying the majority of the questions we had from my community in preparing for this were questions around, is this herb a contraindicator to when I'm on this drug? And people wanted to know the nitty gritty of contraindications and individual herbs. 
And that could not be in more contrast to what you have just talked about. It's this, I felt so heard in this 90 minute of a conversation. And I too came to you for some niggles and I wasn't prepared for a whole 90 minute consultation. And I did actually walk away from that with a little bit less weight on my shoulders as well. Great to hear. And that's un- that's unusual, I think, when we feel we go to a doctor and we want some medication because it doesn't happen very often anymore. No. Anita, you work in a similar way to Melinda, is that right? That's right. Yes, I see people um, for consultations, uh, one-to-one. Um, I've been doing that from my practice in Kent for sort of 30-odd years. But I do see people of all ages and from all walks of life, for all sorts of health issues. Although I do collaborate very closely with a gynaecologist, I actually do see uh, lots of patients for all sorts of problems. So it could be skin problems or headaches or, well, exactly as you said, really, those niggles. When you delve below the surface, there's obviously other things going on. And, and that's what I love is to find out lots about a person so that I can offer them a route back to health. Yeah. And so do you think it's a certain type of person that comes to see a herbal medicalist? Is it those people that are a little bit open to tuned into the universe and we have to be a little bit different? Or have you, do you see people from all walks of life? Yeah, I don't know about you, Melinda, but I definitely see, obviously, there are the people that find me because they've done their research and perhaps they've not yet been helped or they've tried conventional medicine and it causes problems for them or it hasn't solved their problem and and so they've gone to find out where someone else could help them so often those people then bring their relatives who were and friends who were perhaps not quite so convinced and it is quite wonderful to see people who were perhaps very or very openly skeptical about herbal medicine and watch them get better as well yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd also say that, you know, I mean, currently I seem very popular with the female police force. I have a lot of uh, police officers who are coming to me at the moment. I also see barristers. I see businesswomen, you know, right across the spectrum. A lot of teachers. I get a lot of teachers, actually. But, you know, I see a wide range of people from all different walks of life. So I think herbal medicine is becoming increasingly well known and seen as a reliable and effective option for people. Mm. One thing I think I have come to grips with is that most people I've spoken to about herbal medicine, I don't think they really believe it can really help them. I think for many people, it's a bit of a half-hearted attempt, or at least that's what I found out in the many conversations that I've had when I tried to really understand how to prepare for this episode on the podcast. And people think I'm going to go to Holland and Barrett's or to my local health food store and I'm going to pick up a herb and it's going to cure me and help me with my hot flushes or my sleepless nights. And so I wanted to know from you which herb can help us for what symptom. And both of you were a bit reluctant. And now I know it's because it's not quite how you work or how herbal medicine works. Why doesn't it work like that? It's so individual, uh, you know, and that's why coming to to see you know Anita or I you know we'll ask you so many questions and we'll delve so deeply into what's going on for you so that we can tailor the right herbal medicine for you you know because there's hundreds and hundreds of plant medicines out there you know for the untrained person it's really difficult to know which one to go for 
Also, unfortunately, some of the products that we do find in the high street, they don't contain enough of the active ingredients to really be effective. I'd also add that consistency is another big factor in taking herbal medicine. You can't just take something for a week and then throw it in the bin and say it didn't work. Anita, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think also there's, we've had a couple of generations now of where conventional medicine has been stage funded. And that's led to a conventional medical way of thinking that you have an illness, what magic bullets, what drug can we use to impede, stop, break up what's going on here? But really, although herbal medicine practitioners, we do study conventional medical sciences to degree level, but we also look at everything there is known about medicine and about herbs. And that leads us to a genuinely patient-centered, I'm going to use the word holistic, but what I mean, a way of looking at at health that we are physiologists actually we want to understand the physiology what's going on in a person that led to this happening and how could we best address our treatment at the root causes to get right down to what actually really happened here so often just in that consultation that first consultation people themselves actually know this but it's been pushed to one side as simply they've been given a medication so inevitably people look for the herb that is the natural version of the drug because of that same thinking but it doesn't take very long usually within that first consultation there's a big aha moment when the person says oh yeah yeah but actually this happened and this happened and, and then I got sick and so it's wonderful because then we can start really talking about the truth yeah And one thing that really also struck me with my own experience is that I would never have thought I buy really important drugs that that I needed in my recovery at at points, like antibiotics, for example, that I needed these, that I could buy these important drugs in my local health food store. I don't even expect to get them without a prescription from a pharmacy. I, I know for my antibiotics, I need to go and be seen by my GP. And there is a process to that. So it's interesting to think that if I really believe that herbal medicine can help me, that I just then pick it up for a fiver down the road. And it's another one of those pathways that doesn't add up. So I do believe it's a whole rethinking of herbal medicine and a whole relearning for many people if we want it to be effective and if we want it to really have the benefit that we hope it's going to have. Yeah, absolutely. So Melinda, let's talk a little bit about some of the strategies that we can apply if someone comes, because I'm just going to refer back to what Anita said. And Anita said, there's a root cause to some of the things and, and, and why we become ill. But many of our listeners are, for example, on cancer treatments that make them feel really unwell. And they feel that their cancer has been treated with chemotherapy, with surgeries and other things. And they're now feeling, and they're in that state of being unwell for a persistent long period of time. And often we think we're going to be much better within six months to a year. And we have this expectation. So how do we go about this? If we think, gosh, I'm poorly because my body has been shattered by chemo. I know, Anita, why I'm poorly. I've had chemo. I've had cancer treatment. I'm maybe on um, aromatose inhibitors or some long-term endocrine therapy. Can herbal medicine still help when our body has been battered quite so much? 
Yeah, so I think that's the key really sort of shift in herbal medicine as used by the people for thousands of years. And therefore, that's why we still see it in the health food shop right through to this very modern context that we're in at the moment, where we do have wonderful conventional medicines that have saved people and are really important in our society. But that might also uh, not address fully all the needs of a person. So uh, an example is that yeah, I've worked with Anne Henderson, gynaecologist, for 16 years or more. And in that, we set up initially a pelvic pain clinic aimed at helping women with multiple pelvic pain. It developed into a gynaecology clinic, and now it's the menopause clinic. But what I notice is just how many women are experiencing problems that have not enabled them to continue their conventional medical treatment effectively because of other effects. So, Herbal medicines are a brilliant way of working alongside in a true complementary sense. How can we really help women get the best out of conventional medicine and the best out of themselves? So one example, one of the first ladies I saw at the pelvic pain clinic was a lady who'd had a double mastectomy because of two types of breast cancer. Uh, but the wound in one of her breasts was unhealed for nearly four months. It was still an open wound. Within two weeks of starting the herbal medicine, the wound had healed. Another lady had several recurrences of breast cancer, but finally she came to see me. We talked a lot about her life and her body. We introduced some herbal medicine. She's never had a recurrence, but she couldn't take tamoxifen. Another person needed surgery, but had an MRSA infection, a multi-resistant staphylococcus aureus infection. So she couldn't go for the surgery. So she had herbal medicine. She was able to have the surgery. One final mm -hmm. example, a lady who was supposed to be going through her chemo, but she, she kept having huge acute reactions and she, the chemo was stopped. She had herbal medicine. And she continued to have herbal medicine in between her chemo, prescribed herbal medicine, and that allowed her to continue, restart, continue and complete her chemotherapy. She is now a triathlete. So mm. there are, you know, lots of stories, but they're very unique, very individual. And herbal medicine can help alongside conventional medicine. Not just it's not just about, as you say, those sort of primary complaints with their root causes. This is so interesting because we know compliance rate for long term endocrine therapies like tamoxifen and aromatose inhibitors are shocking, especially because patients get discharged quicker and quicker. And so they have much less access to uh, the healthcare team, their oncologists, their surgeons. And so it's something like one out of or three out of four women stop some of their endocrine therapies without even telling the healthcare practitioners, especially with aromatose inhibitors. And so are you saying that, for example, an additional herbal medicine can maybe help us sustain and tolerate those treatments better, which would then give us the overall beneficial effects? Because of course, these treatments have incredible effects to reduce our chances of recurrence. Does it work like that, Melinda? Absolutely. You know, and as you say, compliance rates are so low because the side effects are so debilitating. And Huge. so if we as herbalists can safely work alongside conventional medicine, 
and reduce the effects of some of, you know, these horrible symptoms that women get, you, you know, going through five years of hot flushes and night sweats and disturbed sleep while trying to take your tamoxifen is just not, not feasible for a lot of women. They can't function. So if we can safely work alongside that medicine and reduce, you know, these symptoms, then yeah, women are going to be able to take their medicine and then their breast cancer recurrence rates will, will be um, low. So, you know, it's a, it's a good combination. And you said to me in an email preparing for this, you said, look, a woman who's been through so much and these are life shocks, traumas, huge, huge, huge impact on our life. We shouldn't expect that a $6.99 little herbal medication <laughs> off the shelf is really going to help us make a huge difference, right? These women need specialist care. And I totally, you yeah. couldn't have put it and explained it in any better way I really thought yeah that is it we have been through so much why do we think we don't deserve access to real specialist care that can actually help us and and actually until recently there was a wonderful national charity called the breast cancer haven which I think sadly has closed now because of the pandemic pulled you know they had all their funding pulled but for years you could go to the breast cancer haven and there would be acupuncturists, medical herbalists, dietitians, you know, oncologists, uh, doctors, all working under the same roof. The one in London even had an amazing health food cafe that you could go and sit sit in and talk to other women. It was so wonderful, you know, all these disciplines working alongside each other. Um, you know, and it was either free or subsidized for women to mm. go there. Sadly gone. But, you know, that just shows what is possible and how all these disciplines can work together to really restore someone's health after they've mm. been through the process of, you know, diagnosis, treatment and now recovery. You know, it's a lot to, to put your body through. And you do come out the other side of that really shattered, um, you know, sleep deprived, lots of insomnia going on, your whole body is in recovery mode. And that, you know, it can take years for people to get over that kind of experience. Um, you know, and that's where you really do need a lot of support. So yeah, mm. unfortunately, yeah, buying something for five pounds down the down the health food shop isn't really going to get you through it, you know. Mm. So, Anita, you work with Anne, Anne Henderson, you said, who's a gynecologist, and you've run this clinic for a long time together. In general, we have this divide between conventional medicine and maybe herbal medication. And when I read up on the British Menopause Society or on other loads of like NHS platforms, there is two or three sentences around it and it doesn't really give you much and it always says oh well we don't really have any sort of benefit or we don't really have lots of signs saying that it works that's sort of the general consensus but obviously this is what you've done all your life this is what you live and breathe you must be annoyed about some of that but put it right for me because obviously you wouldn't have run and seen women for decades now if it really didn't have anything to show for Thanks, Danny. Yeah, you're you're quite right. Uh, It is very frustrating sometimes to feel that herbal medicine is sometimes actually criticised for things that are just not the case. There is so much research about herbal medicine, but it's very difficult to access that research. Uh, So often that research is done 
under the cloak of different names of things. So if you want to look up whether Hawthorne is efficacious um, to protect the heart and circulation, there have been hundreds of studies on this plant. But unless you know that its scientific research name is M101, you're never going to find it in a Google search. And that means that doctors don't find out about it, nor consultants. They're not educated about herbal medicine in their medical training. And so I would love to see a sea change in this. I do a lot of talks with Anne Henderson to consultants and doctors. We've spoken, for example, at the Royal College of Physicians on PMS and PMDD, a more serious version of premenstrual syndrome. And the feedback from GPs is astonishing. They're really interested. They want to know more about herbal medicine, but there's a little bit of, well, I'll get my knuckles wrapped if I, you know, if we recommend to you. I think there is a very, very small number of people who are very anti-herbal medicine, but I think that's an opinion. It's, it's not actually based on any good sound data themselves. Obviously, it'd be lovely to have more research in terms of, patients receiving herbal medicine and outcomes but there are studies out there and they're good but most of all herbal medicine generally speaking the plants used in medicine herbal medicine are so safe they're so so simple and straightforward many of them are actually edible plants just food-like plants that are just used in a medicinal context so yeah it leads to a, a, a slight either people you know think there's no research or they think they're very dangerous now which is it you know mm, yes <laughs> so yeah yeah we need we need we need to communicate what we do a bit better yeah thank you for that I think it's one of those things isn't it we know it's really effective because we worry about the contraindications so many of the listeners they were worried about the contraindications of certain herbs against some of the medication they might be on like tamoxifen for example so we know it's really effective and yet we haven't quite got the conviction that can really, really help us. So it's bringing those two a little bit closer together. And from your, uh, Anita, sorry, from your um, professional experience, does it actually work? Like I know so many women who have gone on HRT and it's really stopped their hot flushes. It has. Do those herbs help as much as say a woman going on HRT and can they help say with hot flushes? Say hot flushes. Thanks for that very good question, Danny. Um, yeah, I think it's a million dollar question. Does any medicine work? Thousands of research trials on conventional drugs, yet many people find they haven't worked for them. So I tend to see all the people that conventional medicine hasn't worked very well for, can you imagine? So um, I think medicine tries to be scientific, but biology is messy. But I've asked myself the same question many times. Am I helping? Are my patients getting better? So over the years, I've conducted several medical audits to try and measure the success of the interventions that I do, particularly because I'm presenting often back to consultants uh, and conventional practitioners. In 2018, I published one of my biggest audits in the Journal of Herbal Medicine, which was a prospective audit. So that meant that Patients were recorded before they started treatment with their symptoms. This particular audit was on menopause. They recorded symptoms that they had, how serious they were in a number score, how it affected their life, if they're taking any medications to help those symptoms. And then they came back several weeks later and recompleted the questionnaire, the validated questionnaire. And it was really significant women's experience 
uh, of their menopausal symptoms had gone down in a numeric scale from a, a, a score of six or five down to zero or one for wow. across the board with their symptoms. So, yeah, I think it does work. And inevitably, there's always people for whom their story is more complex. So I think a multidisciplinary approach is always going to be of good benefit to the actual people. <laughs> mm. And let's still talk about the nitty gritty of the herbs that you will prescribe, because we hear a lot about certain herbs. So can you address some? Let's say stick with hot flushes, Melinda. If someone presents with, we always have more than one symptom, but if that hot flush is a real bothersome symptom, which herb would you put in their lovely little bottles? Or is it even not that easy? Uh, again, it, it can be quite individualized, but I do really want to talk about black cohosh and uh, sort of dispel a few myths about it, mm. um, particularly in relation to taking it if you've had breast cancer. There is still some guidance around um, on the NHS that tells people to not take black cohosh if you've had breast cancer. And this stems from a time when black cohosh was still viewed as a phytoestrogen and phytoestrogens were also viewed with suspicion if you'd had breast cancer. And it really frustrates me that this advice has not been updated or looked at for many, many years. And actually, we now know that black cohosh is not a phytoestrogen and that it actually works on neurotransmitter pathways. So things like serotonin, dopamine and GABA. And do you know what's really interesting is that the more we know about hot flushes, the more we realize that those same neurotransmitters are actually implicated in the mechanism behind why we have hot flushes. So black cohosh mm. is a wonderful medicine for hot flushes because it targets those same neurotransmitters that are causing the hot flushes. So there is also some really interesting research where people have done trials and they've compared groups of women who just took tamoxifen compared to women who took black cohosh and tamoxifen. And they found that the women who took black cohosh stayed on the tamoxifen for longer because it helped wow. reduce their symptoms. And over time, that it also reduced um, breast cancer recurrence compared to the group who just took tamoxifen on its own. Um, so there is also a question about, you know, does it interact with tamoxifen? Is it safe? Yes. And based on that research showing that the recurrence rates were lower in people who took black cohosh and tamoxifen, you would then argue that it is safe and effective and it's not working against the tamoxifen. Mm. So I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that everyone listening to this should rush out and buy some black cohosh supplements. I'm saying talk to your medical team, talk to your medical herbalists about what to take. But it just frustrates me that some of this advice that's being given out is quite outdated now and things mm. have really changed. But now sort of also listening to what Anita just said, mm. that uh, many people don't have much of an, like many medical professionals mm. don't have much of an opinion about it because mm. they don't probably know much about it. So it's easier to say, don't take it rather than having the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Where do we go from that? So if I'm a curious patient, mm. 
will you talk to say my oncologist team yes. or my surgeon on, on my behalf or do I just have to do all of that myself again because I can't get hold of anyone anyway even <laughs> if I'm feeling rubbish <laughs> uh, certainly uh, medical herbalists often communicate with um, healthcare providers and the teams that work uh, to support women and you know, you can either find a very open-minded uh, team uh, who'll look at the research that a herbalist might show to them, the, mo the more up-to-date research and, you know, monitor progress as it goes along, or you might just get a flat no. Uh, you know, no, we're not doing that. We're going to err on the, the side of being super cautious about this. You know, and they're busy people. They probably don't have time to read all the research that we're, you know, yeah. we read all the time on plant medicine. So it's, it's about a dialogue, I think, you know, and obviously we want women to feel safe. We want women to feel that the medicine they're taking is going to be, the conventional medicine they're taking is going to remain effective. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that, Anita? Yeah, I, I wanted to say I write to oncologists and doctors regularly and I really encourage hospital pharmacists to get in touch. Um, and I've had some really good conversations with hospital pharmacists who are usually the people that are deferred to if, if a doctor or an oncologist or a consultant isn't sure whether it's safe for a person to take a herbal medicine alongside and so again speaking to those hospital pharmacists making myself available you know for a quick chat on the phone actually is usually how it works uh, mm. means that people can then access some really helpful herbal medicine because once we have those conversations it becomes very clear and apparent that it's not going to be a problem. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about phytoestrogens Anita because uh, Melinda's just sort of mentioned them and there is a little bit of a worry still. And I think a lady just sent me an article of the, I think, British Menopause Society that actually said soy and phytoestrogens are really sort of dangerous and to stay away. But everyone I interview sort of on the podcasts says, no, that's not true. And again, it's not the information hasn't been updated. And um, tell me about phytoestrogens, because is it red clover as well? Is that a phytoestrogen? Or so many medical herbs are used for menopausal symptoms and so we think, is it because they give back the estrogen that we're sort of naturally losing? But it's not like that. It's a bit more tricky, I know. Tell me about the phytoestrogens. Danny, I'm so glad you asked me this. I'm really sorry. You're going to have to kick me off your podcast very soon because this is exactly the complex message. Somehow we need to get across. So as a really quick summary, phytoestrogens are not proliferative in and of themselves. They do not thicken the lining of the womb and they do not thicken the breast tissue. If you take estradiol estrogen in the form of HRT, it does have a proliferative effect. It proliferates the endometrium and the breast tissue. In fact, phytoestrogens do not contain estradiol estrogen at all. They, in fact, actively block estrogen receptor sites. And if they're taken as a whole herb, i.e. if you munch beans in your diet, not just soya, but all beans contain these compounds that were once called phytoestrogen. If you eat the actual herb or the food with these in, you are also benefiting from many other compounds that have anti-cancer benefits. I think one word of caution is that we as herbalists are keen to assess a person's fitness to receive herbal medicines. What I mean by that is that 
any compound we put into our body will behave differently based on whether our microbiome is intact, our friendly gut bacteria, whether our liver and kidney function is, is as it should be, or whether we're taking other medications. And this is the thing about not buying something over the counter and seeing a consultant medical herbalist. But in the main, it's really important to understand that phytoestrogens are not proliferative. They do not contain estrogen. They actually actively block estrogen receptor sites, which is a bit of a weird one to get your head around. But actually, they taken as whole herbs. They also contain many other anti-cancer compounds. I could go on, but I'll pause mm. there. <laughs> Thank you. What also struck me is that we have a few herbs that we talk about as women in, in this situation. We've heard them, they come up on websites, then we have to worry about contraindication towards um, medication we're on. But really, 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 our stress levels are so heightened. And every single woman I speak to, we have so much fear of recurrence for so much longer than we think we would, which puts us into this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, heightened stress levels and really sort of panicky state of being almost. And I know from speaking to so many amazing experts on the podcast that a heightened fear and that heightened stress level is going to make all of our physical symptoms worse. And you talk about, a lot about adaptogens, Melinda, and I, yeah. I, I know we've spoken about them before, but I still can't remember what they are. But can you, and I know I've had them in my medication from you, but talk us through adaptogens because you're a fan of those, aren't you? Yeah, I'm a huge fan and they can really, really help in the situation you've described, um, you know, bringing people down from that fear that level of heightened fear out of that fight or flight mode and bringing that whole nervous system down into a much calmer state. So adaptogens are just, it's just a term for a class of herbal medicines uh, oh. which help our bodies to adapt to stress. So they really support our adrenal system. They help to bring down levels of cortisol in the body, which is our stress hormone, helps to calm all that adrenaline that we're pumping out all the time because we are, you know, in that heightened state of anxiety. And when you're pumping out a lot of cortisol all the time, that's very inflammatory to the body, you know, and when you've had breast cancer, you do not want a lot of inflammation going on in your body. So, give you some examples of some adaptogens, some of my favorite ones, specifically for menopausal symptoms and the sort of stress and anxiety that comes with menopause. So one is an Ayurvedic Indian herb called ashwagandha that a lot of people mm. uh, have heard of. And I think this is a wonderful medicine. The thing about adaptogens is again, you know, different adaptogens suit different people. So, for example, with ashwagandha, it really helps support healthy sleep patterns. It's very good at supporting your immune system and it's very good for you know, calming this stress response. I like to think of adaptogens as a bit of a shield that you put on mm, that, like help, that. Yeah, that help protect you from the stresses and strains of the world, you know, and God, with or without breast cancer, I think we are all experiencing that at the moment. So ashwagandha is one. Rhodiola is another one, which I think is absolutely fabulous. Some people can find it a little bit drying, which can be 
you know, a bit counterproductive if you're feeling all those drying effects of menopause, but not for everyone. Some people find it drying. And again, that's very good for stamina and mental focus and cognitive support. And again, helping you to bring those stress levels down. So that's just a couple of examples. See, this is so interesting because if you looked at adaptogens and I might even buy them on Amazon because I can't be bothered to go to my local high street, I would probably not know that some of them can be drying. Mm. And so for all of us out there with dry vaginas, and I know (laughs) nine out of 10 women who are in menopause after any cancer diagnosis will experience dryness. Mm -hmm. This is so important to know, right? Because this is the last thing you want. I speak to women who can hardly sit on a chair because they're so sore. Mm -hmm. And so then we might start a herb and be not that consistent anyway, because we haven't quite believed in it in the first place. And then some symptoms might get worse. Of course, mm. we're going to throw out the window mm-hmm. and think it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'd also just like to add in that, you know, there's a lot of beautiful uh, medicines that we have in our arsenal that work on our nervous system as well. So they're not adaptogens. These are what we call nervine herbs. So things like um, passion flower, which is very calming, you know, valerian is a very popular herbal medicine for good reason, because, you know, the insomnia epidemic is, you know, raging out there. And it really does help us to calm our nervous systems and get a good night's sleep. You know, lemon balm is something that grows in a lot of people's gardens and is very uplifting and also very calming at the same time. And you could easily just make a tea out of lemon balm that's growing Mm. in your garden. Very simple just to help calm your nervous system down, you know, and you've really hit the nail on the head. Working on the stress response often has a a huge knock-on effect to symptom reduction in lots of other areas like hot flushes, night sweats. You know, if you can calm down the nervous system, then lots of other symptoms will calm down as well. Would you say, um, Anita, that it also works help with sleep when we work on that nervous system and the stress response? I I read an article that you've um, published somewhere and you do speak about sleep as such a multidisciplinary and complex issue. How would you address that with with herbs? Yeah. Yeah, Danny, you're right. It's so important to sleep. Uh, I think there's a reason it's used as a form of torture, is it, to stop people being able to sleep? It it feels like that when you're not sleeping, certainly. Yeah, sleep is an opportunity for the body to repair, and it's thought that in deep phase sleep, DNA repair takes place. So, yeah, it's pretty fundamental. And herbal medicine has so many brilliant strategies to help with that. Melinda mentioned about neurotransmitters and hot flushes, but neurotransmitters can also interfere with sleep. Our gut-brain axis, this is a term that's become coined recently, but it's so appropriate and it really speaks to herbal medicine. We always want to treat the gut. So we add herbs for the gut and for sleep, uh, curiously. So a really good example is chamomile. Uh, Not everyone's favourite cup of tea, I'll admit, but it's a massively underrated medicinal plant with no harms whatsoever. In fact, it fails an LD50 test, a lethal dose 50 test, which is used as a safety measure for drugs. You cannot kill anything with chamomile (laughs) and therefore we can't quite work out what the safe dose is. So sometimes chamomile is listed as a herb you shouldn't take with other medicines when in fact it's it's safe for absolutely every age and walk of life. It's anti-inflammatory. Research, double blind research trials have shown it to have 
really significant antidepressant effects. It's relaxing. But a really underrated ingredient in chamomile is a mucilage. This is a slimy, mucousy substance that our bodies normally produce ourselves. But chamomile contains mucilages if it's brewed for long enough. And this has a very calming and soothing effect on the gut which means it can aid sleep, but it also moistens and helps with all sorts of dryness issues around the body. So as a medical herbalist, I love the medicinal use, high dose use of herbs that are actually very simple food-like herbs like chamomile. And I might introduce other relaxing herbs like the nervines Melinda talked about. The word nervine, fascinating word, even means that you nourish the nervous system back to full function. My teacher in herbal medicine described frayed nerves. We, we use that colloquially, don't we? Uh, our nerves are a bit frayed. He said, yeah, the nervous system is like a big rope and the tighter we pull it, you know, the more likely it is to fray. And herbs are all about reconnecting those fibres, moistening them, lubricating them until they're reconnected. So there's a link between moistening recovering the nervous system Her, medical herbalists think like this we we want to nurture nourish moisten recover the function of the nervous system with simple plants like chamomile and the herbs that melinda mentioned as well earlier it almost sounds like a luxury i, I don't, can't describe i mean it sounds so lovely what you have described like really almost like a pampering experience and sometimes, or maybe a little bit before I saw you years ago, Melinda, I thought, is this a little bit of a luxury to add to my treatment plan? And I was never very good at going to massages or having facials and body massages after my mastectomy have gone out the window anyway, because just a bit weird, maybe. And so it almost felt as if I had to convince myself I was worthy of adding this to my treatment plan, which is also weird because I was working so hard at my food, at my yoga, at my stress levels, at everything. And yet I thought, am I worthy of adding this? I don't know. Do you feel that sometimes women come to you and they're almost not quite sure that they deserve that extra treatment, that nourishing sort of experience that your work clearly comes with it? Menopause is a feminist issue. It's all, you know, because actually exactly that, Danny, I think many of the women who come to see me can afford to see me, but they almost not sure whether they deserve it, whether they're worthy of it. They're, you know, and so often they come down on a very long list of things in their lives, even behind the dog. And that means that, you know, actually, if there's a veterinary appointment or something else going on, you know, scuppers their herbal medicine appointment or treatment yeah that luxurious sense that you know that you should even spend this money on yourself it's encoded in all sorts of unfortunate consequences of our paternalistic society let's talk about let's talk about the nitty-gritty and the money because many women now over the last few years have started to see private menopause specialists they come from 250 quid a consultation to 280 quid for the hour of their first consultation often they need reviews 
you don't work under the NHS because we don't have a thing. We have to access you privately. A, I want to know how can someone access someone that is sound? Where do I find? I mean, of course, I link to both of you amazing people in the podcast notes. But how do I know if I live somewhere in Leeds and you're full up, Melinda, and you're too busy, Anita, how can I access someone that has similar qualifications than you? And so I can feel safe that these people know what they're doing with me and how they can help me. And also talk me through a little bit. How expensive is this? Like I picked up something from Boots the other day. It was $9.99 for my prescription charge. How much are these herbs? Tell me the facts. Maybe, I don't know how you answer one each. (laughs) So if you want to find a medical, a fully trained medical herbalist that's near you, you can either look on the NIMH, the National Institute of Medical Herbalists website, nimh.org.uk, and they have a find a herbalist section. And there is also the College of Practitioners of Phytotherapy. Um, You can look on their website as well. And certainly, yes, in terms of costing, Unfortunately, herbal medicine is not available on the NHS and we are uh, practicing privately. Uh, Many herbalists run a sliding scale in terms of their consultation fees. So if you are on a low wage or, uh, you know, on benefits, um, there are many herbalists that will see you for a reduced rate, you know, and I certainly have um, some slots, you know, that I offer out to people at a reduced fee. Generally, you know, my consultations range from, you know, 120 for an initial consultation down to 60 for a follow-up, which I think is really reasonable compared to what a lot of menopause doctors are charging. And my herbal medicine um, is about £12 a week to take. So it's, it's really not expensive. And, you know, my goal ultimately is to get you well. So exactly. I want you to not come back. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, <laughs> and um, the reason the reason I'm asking this is before I've seen you, I have spent hundreds of pounds in my local health food store on buying things that I thought and I read and I half-heartedly believed in, and I spent so much money on on stuff that I don't ever even knew what it really did for me. And so in comparison to 12, 15 quid a week on herbal medication, it's I just wanted to show that comparison because we often do things unaware of quite how much we spend when we haven't got a plan. And one of the biggest things for so many people listening to this is we don't often have a plan. You know, mm. we're being discharged and then we're alone with our mm. symptoms and we yes. each have to put together our own plan, whatever that is, a bit more exercise, eating better, herbal medication, vitamins. You know, so many people have bathroom cupboards full of vitamins because we think we need it all. And it comes without a plan. And without a plan comes a lot of expense. Yeah. And so really focusing our care and saying, I'm going to see an expert, a consultant in herbal medication and come up with a plan will reduce a lot of the frantic buying and which can be really expensive you know a lot of those supplements can be very expensive Mm -hmm. uh, when you've got a long list of things that you're taking Mm -hmm. Um, you know it can really add up so you know it's good to see someone who can sort of streamline that for you Mm -hmm. yeah Anita is there anything you want to add to that 
Oh, just, it's such a useful thing to have talked about. But yes, I think what I'd love to say is that, yes, initially somebody might come, they might spend on a consultation fee, but the aim of that first consultation is to construct a plan together with my patient, which we then might modify as treatment goes on. They might start off with a tincture, a liquid medicine, some capsules, some herb teas, maybe even some food-like supplements, linseed or psyllium seed. They might go away with some dietary changes, maybe even some affirmations and some considerations of sort of self-care and self-love. But then over time, they might bit by bit just be a herbal medicine person. So they slowly wean off their herbal medicine, but they stay maybe enjoying herb teas as part of their life. If ever they get an infection, they come back, they get herbal medicine to treat that infection. They don't think of first kick is off to the antibiotics no they know herbal medicines work for their infection so they come back and then they become yeah they just become a herbal medicine person they're somebody who eats herbs in their diet they take them in the form of herbal tea and they love even chamomile maybe uh, and uh, who uh, yeah knows that herbal medicine might even be able to help them with acute problem along the way yeah I mean I think Anita and I develop lifelong relationships with our patients and their families you know we may not see them for a while but when something crops up they'll come back and see us again and if anyone is sitting at home thinking I'm off to Holland and Barrett's or I'm going to research the website and I'm going to just see if someone can help me along and come up with a plan for me, I think I really hope that we have explained how the pathway works. Because I don't know, one thing I probably never told you, Melinda, because we didn't have time, but in my times of really heightened stress, my body odour changes. Sorry, this is a little bit um, too detailed. <laughs> but I... I have really, really sweaty armpits that stink and it's weird. And so I flush it out and I drink loads of teas and loads of herbal teas. But it's only really when I took your herbal medication. And I think we worked on a little bit of, was it um, the milk thistle or what was that for my liver or kidney? I can't remember. Melinda. Yes, yes. For your liver. Yeah, yeah. For my liver. Yes. I really think that eased off and changed. And so I know it was hormonal why it came on at my stress levels. And, and but that really changed and stopped. And so I... I smell quite nice now. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> That's great to hear. And also we have all of our amazing lymphatic herbs that help support yeah. women who've had breast cancer as well, you know, because, uh, you know, when you've had a lot of lymph nodes removed, you know, that can often be a, a real issue, as you know, and, um, you know, uh, helping the immune system deal with that is a, is a big issue. So that's something yeah. we, we always have to work on. Yeah. So, yeah, lots I, to talk about. I feel we're going to dive into more details. I'm sure on another podcast episode, we'll see what questions come in after this. And I hope we've opened a little window of an opportunity for someone to access what both of you amazing people and so many other practitioners out there have to offer. Thank you. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks for your brilliant questions. And it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. I hope you found this discussion really helpful and I have run a workshop just recently with a whole group of women who are in menopause after cancer. And on one of my slides, when I go through complementary therapies, I also mentioned herbal medication and I put in brackets all the things people would Google, like black coash, St. John's word, and sage and bread clover and, and all of those. And before I could even explain, there were like loads of hands shooting up saying, yes, but there are loads of contraindications to all those herbs. And it just reinforced to me that as women 
And as patients, when we want to draw on herbal medication, we shouldn't have to worry if there are contraindications to certain herbs. All our worry is that we want to get help and we need that from a professional. And so let the professionals like Melinda and Anita worry about contraindications. Let our medical professionals talk to one another and figure out if there are any problems with using herbal medications and other treatments we might be on. I really don't think we need to understand it all to that detail. And if we really believe that herbal medication can become an integral part in our healing journey, then I think it's just a wise move to go to the professional so that we can give it a real good shot. Anyway, I'm going to love you and leave you with all my thoughts. And I hope um, by going back a little bit and talking about what herbal medication really is, it's, it's helped you understand where you can access if you feel this is something worth pursuing. <music>